everyone welcome back to another episode of the graveyard shift podcast did you miss us you probably did um last week we took the week off happy new year everyone Feliz nuevo año we've got another great episode thank you for holding tight with last week um hope you guys had a fantastic new year's so this week we got a fun and fresh story for you we've got drum roll please <laughs> the axeman of new orleans this is kind of a funny story because just specifically because of the letter he sent to the um the newspaper, it makes me laugh every time I read it because it's just so absolutely fucking ridiculous. Um, let's start it. From May 1918 to October 1919, the city of New Orleans was in a panic due to the serial killer that went by the name The Axeman. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. <laughs> <laughs> The Axeman would break into homes in New Orleans and bludgeon victims to death with their own axes he found on scene. The only time that the Axeman brought his own weapon to a crime scene was when he brought along a straight razor. Which is like, you know those like eyebrow razors? Mm -hmm. Or like those old-fashioned like like, shaving ones? Yeah, those big blade ones. Yeah, it looks like just a knife. It was like that. (laughs) Yeah. The first victims were Joseph and Catherine Maggio, Italian-American grocers. They were attacked on May 22nd, 1918. Joseph and Catherine's throats were cut with a razor, and they also had their skulls smashed in with an axe. Catherine- You know what? I never thought he actually killed people. I thought it was just like a threat that scared everyone. Catherine was nearly decapitated and had choked on her own blood when she was found by Joseph's brother. Joseph, however, was still alive, barely, but died later afterwards, like in the hospital. The axeman had entered the house by chiseling out the bottom panel of the door. The axe was left in the house, and the razor was disposed of in the neighbor's garden. This guy just didn't, garden? like, yeah, he didn't care where he, like, left the murder weapon. He left it on the scene. And no one found him, like, maybe through fingerprint. Or it's like- 1918. <laughs> I don't give a fuck. <laughs> Money and valuables that were in the house in plain sight were not taken, ruling out robbery as a motive for the attack. Near the home, there was a message written in chalk saying, Mrs. Maggio will sit up tonight, just like Mrs. Tony. What does that it's, mean? Like they're just The theory that. with that message refers to a Miss Tony Schiambra, Schiambra? S-C-H-I-M-B-R-A, who was one of the Italian immigra- immigrant grocers murdered between 1911 and ni- to 1912. In these attacks seven years prior, the people had fallen victim to a man with an axe who would break into homes by popping out the back panel of the victim's doors. This meant that if it was the same man who was active in 1918, the axe man had been around and killing for, like, a long time. Because it was, like, the same, like, M.O. On June 28, 1918, a man named John Zonka went to deliver goods to a grocery store run by Louis Bessemer. Louis Bessemer. When John went in the back door where the Bessemers were staying, he found uh, Louis and his supposed wife, possibly mistress, Harriet, covered in blood yet still alive. Louis had been hit with an axe above his right temple, and Harriet had been hacked on the left ear. The crime made the paper, but more people were concerned with the fact that Harriet could possibly be Louis's mistress. But how are they connected? <laughs> That's their mind, bro okay yeah they almost died yeah they almost died but like what is their relationship status 
Harriet was partially paralyzed on the side of her face and had surgery on August 5th to correct it, but died two days later. While she was alive, she suspected that it was Louis who attacked her. Louis would serve nine months in prison on the charge of murder before being acquitted after a 10-minute jury deliberation on May 1st, 1919. Ten minutes. (laughs) That probably felt like years to them, bro. On August 5th, 1918, a woman named Mrs. Schneider, who was eight months pregnant at the time, was attacked in her home. She woke up to a tall, dark figure looming over her bed and then was bashed in the face multiple times. Her husband came home close after midnight to find the gruesome scene. Her scalp had been cut open and her face was coated in blood, as well as some of her teeth were knocked out. Later, after coming out of her stupor, she recounted being attacked by a dark figure wielding an axe. She said he resembled some sort of phantom. Despite being pregnant at the time of the attack, Danny Phantom. It was Danny Phantom. (laughs) It was the ghost of Christmas past, specifically from the Muppets Christmas Carol. Despite being pregnant at the time of the attack, two days later, Mrs. Schneider gave birth to a healthy baby girl. As they should. As they big girl boss their way (laughs) (laughs) One man was arrested on suspicion of being the attacker, but was later released on a lack of evidence. It was with this attack that the dots were starting to connect between all the attacks. Even though the attacks were starting to line up, the attack on Mrs. Schneider was the first time that the Axeman broke from his M.O. Miss Schneider was neither Italian nor a grocer. Now it seemed as if anyone could be targeted by the Axeman. The people of New Orleans even started to believe that there was a boogeyman in their presence. Five days after the attack on Miss Schneider, two young girls, Pauline and Mary Bruno, awoke to commotion coming from their uncle Joseph Romano's room. Joseph Romano was an elderly Italian grocer Mm. and was looking after his nieces when he was attacked. Upon going to investigate, the girls saw a dark, tall, heavy-set figure in a dark suit and a hat looming in the hallway. When they entered the room, they found Romano with a serious wound on his head and he was lying in a pool of his own blood. He stayed awake long enough to see the ambulance arrive and actually walked to the ambulance himself, but died in the hospital from his injuries a couple days later. Mm. The same as in the other attacks, a panel from the door had been chiseled out and no valuables were taken. So, like, his way of getting into the houses was taking a chisel and, like, you know on, like, a door with, like, those four panels? Yeah. He would take the bottom ones out. Like, one of the bottom ones. They were just ridiculous because it's, like, they were so bored. (laughs) They were like, this is what I'm gonna do. Like, I'm a serial killer. (laughs) He's already on a killing spree, but he's like, I'm I'm bored. And so he just chiseled it out because what else is there to do besides wave at a boat and, like, go to a picture show bro at this point they were so bored they were like let's kill people and only serve nine months <laughs> and i'll do it again <laughs> the axe man would take what seemed like a break from killing as his next attack wasn't until seven months later at this point the fear of the axe man started to wane in the eyes of the new orleanians on march 10th 1919 in a nearby town called gretna louisiana Charles Rosie and Mary Cordomiglia were attacked. The screams and shrieks of the family were heard throughout the neighborhood. Uh, a man named, I don't know how the hell to pronounce it because it's 
spelled I-O-R-L-A-N-D-O. So it's the name Orlando, like Orlando, Florida, with an I in front of it. Maybe it is just Orlando, the I is silent. It's not. It's spelled that way everywhere. Orlando? Orlando Giordano. Talk about unfortunate names. I... Uh, <laughs> I can't make pronunciation. I, Irlando. Ireland. Ireland. <laughs> anyway, a man named Orlando Giordano heard these screams from across the street and ran over to see what was happening. Charles Cordomiglia, an Italian immigrant and grocer, was lying on the floor with a horrific head wound. Rosie, who had woken up after hearing a struggle between her husband and a man with an axe, was found standing in the doorway, bleeding from her head, holding her two-year-old daughter, Mary, who was deceased when Orlando got to them. Rosie had begged for the axe man to spare their lives, but the assailant felt no remorse, and he swung down to bash their heads in. The ambulances took the family away, Charles being treated and released within a few days of being admitted into the care of the doctor's and Rosie having to stay under their care for a bit longer. When the police came around trying to apprehend someone for the attacks, Rosie pointed the finger of blank. What? You got ghosts now? Probably. I actually do think this house is haunted. I think I've told you that before. Yeah. <laughs> when the police came around trying to apprehend someone for the attacks, Rosie pointed the finger of blame towards Giordano and his 18-year-old son, Frank. Orlando was a 69-year-old man and not strong enough to have done the damage that occurred in the attack, and Frank was simply too large to have entered the house with a chiseled-out panel in the back door. Despite this, the two were still apprehended, and when the case went to trial, they were found guilty. Hmm? There was no evidence against them. Frank was sentenced to hang, and Orlando was sentenced to life in prison. Charles denied the claims that his wife made, and after the trial, divorced her. Uh, why? But, like, I kind of get it, because, she, like, her baby just died in her yeah. arms. And, like, that was so brutal. Like, what a way to have, like, a, a child go. Yeah. And you said it was a two-year-old child? She was two. Mm. Rosie later redacted her claim against the Giordanos, saying it was made out of spite, seeing as they were rival grocers. Grocers? Grocers. Why the fuck did I yell that? Grocers? <laughs> I'm keeping that in. No. <laughs> the Giordanos were released from prison since the only evidence against them was Rosie's claim. Three days after the Cordomiglia attack, a letter was received by the Times-Picayune newspaper from the Axeman himself. The letter said, Hottest Hell, March 13th, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, they have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe besmeared with the blood of he whom I have sent below to keep me company. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, 
They have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc., but tell them to behave. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axe man. I don't think there is any need for such a warning, for I feel the police will always dodge me as they have in the past. They are wise and know how to keep away from all harm. Undoubtedly, you Orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer, which I am, but I could be much worse if I wanted to. If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens, and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15, earthly time, on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse, hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee. I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed, either in fact or realm of fantasy, the axe man. I just want to address the fact that this man wrote a whole letter, sent it to the newspaper, and isn't even killing every single one of his victims. He's not doing a good job. If you are going to be this cocky, you better have killed every person you meant to kill. Including me. If you're going out trying to kill someone... You better kill I'm right them. here. <laughs> if you're going out trying to kill someone and you don't kill them, you don't get to send this letter to the police being like, I am the worst spirit that ever existed. If you were the worst spirit that ever existed, why are you so bad at essentially the only thing you do? Right. What's going on with that? It's the nicknames that he also gave himself. <laughs> I, I crave my native home Tartarus. I am Satan and friends with the angel of death. <laughs> no, you're not. It would be so funny if he like <laughs> if he was like a like a librarian. <laughs> and he just watches everyone. He's like, mm, yeah, I'm gonna kill you tonight. He's like an aspiring novelist, and this was from like one of his like manuscripts that got rejected. <laughs> author of it <laughs> he just like replaced whatever like the name of like the bad guy was with axe man <laughs> the f- and also the fact that this guy's trying to be all like big and buff and scary and he's like Can you please 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 play some jazz music for me please i like it please it's my favorite kind of music and it's if you like don't play it, I'll, I'll kill you <laughs> if you don't play it, i'm gonna get really mad and I'm gonna tell my mom. <laughs> I'm gonna tell my my daddy's lawyer. <laughs> On the night of March nineteenth, nineteen nineteen, New Orleans was alive with jazz music to avoid the attacks of the Axeman. 
All the dance halls in the city were filled to the max capacity. Professional and amateur jazz bands were performing in homes, hosting massive parties all around the city. No one was killed that night. What if he was just on vacation? Oh, God, he just made everyone do it. A composer by the name of Joseph Davila created a song just for that night titled The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz. And it went on to be a relatively big hit. I listened to the beginning of it, and it's actually pretty good. But I like jazz music, so. I do, too. It's kind of calm. The Axeman, seemingly pleased by what he heard, killed no one that night. Or throughout the spring and most of the summer, for that fact. This is why I'm convinced he just went on vacation. Yeah. I think so. He's he was like, like, I'm going to Cabo. Fuck y'all. Bye. <laughs> Though all was quiet, people still lived in fear. Then, on August 10th, 1919, a man named Steve Boca, another grocer, broke the quiet streak. Steve Boca survived the blow to his head that he suffered, but could not recall the events of the attack. The next person that the Axeman went after on September 2nd, 1919, was William Carson, who fired several gunshots at the Axeman. The intruder left a broken door and an axe behind, and Carson suffered no injuries. The following person the Axeman attacked was a teenage girl. She was 19. Like, she wasn't, like, 13 or whatever. Was a teenage girl named Sarah Lawman on September 3rd, 1919. Sarah was attacked in her home that was both locked and shuttered. Sarah's neighbors found her unconscious on her bed with a severe brain injury and missing teeth. Having suffered from a severe concussion, Sarah didn't remember the events of her attack, similar to Boca. There was a bloody axe found on the front lawn of her house. Despite having a similar MO to the axeman, this time the intruder came through Lawman's window rather than the back door, leading some to believe this is the work of a copycat killer rather than the actual axeman. The final victim was another grocer and father of six named Mike Pepitone. This attack came on the night of October 27, 1919. Mike's wife, Esther, heard sounds of a struggle in the next room over where her husband resided, and upon going to the room to investigate, saw Mike Pepitone had been struck in the head and was lying in a pool of his own blood. Mike Pepitone would die from his injuries, leaving behind his wife to care for all six children. Esther said... What? What do I look like watching six kids by myself? Esther said that on the night of the attack, she saw two men fleeing from the scene. The addition of a second attacker was the only thing that strayed from the MO of the Axemans. After the murder of Mike Pepitone, it was all over. No more Axeman killings happened. So he just, like, for two months, like, there were two back-to-back. And then one at the end of October, and then he pieced out i just want to say he's not good at killing people <laughs> you have like, to be consistent <laughs> like before we even get into the next section of like what i have of my notes i want to go from top to bottom he was not good at killing people now let's get into the theories the first theory is the black hand it's no secret that we're, that whoever was doing the killings had a thing against Italian-American grocers. Yeah. This led some to believe that the murders and attacks could be the work of an early form of the mafia. 
This led some to believe that the murders and attacks could be the work of an early form of the mafia, the Black Hand. There was a name given to the extortion that was happening throughout Italian neighborhoods at the time called Black Hand Crime. Mm -hmm. However, some experts doubt that this was the work of the mafia since so many of the victims were left alive. Or that's not something the mafia does. True. They're not big they're not big into leaving people that could uh snitch. Snitch. The second theory is vendettas. Sicilian immigrants at this time were usually extremely distrustful of the authorities, leading to a theory that the string of attacks were the results of vendettas. This also was thought to be false due to the extreme similarities in the execution of the attacks. Whereas, like, if it was a vendetta killing, it would just be, it would just be, like, a different killing every time because it's done by a bunch of different people. But these were all the same. The third theory, the third theory, why did I do that? Was, is a man named Joseph Mumphrey. This theory is strongly connected to the last murder of the Axeman's Mike Pepitone. The leading suspect in the case of the Axeman is a man named Joseph Mumphrey. Mumphrey was apparently the leader of a blackmailing gang in New Orleans. The gang typically targeted Italian Americans, which is where he, the MO would come, like, not the MO, Mm -hmm. but like the victim type would come from. Yeah. Mumphrey had spent time in prison between 1912 and 1918, and looking back on the first possible murder of the Axemans, and when they started back up again, the dates coincide. Because remember, um, Miss Tony, yeah, who had been killed the same way in like 1912. And that actually it, is a good connection. Yeah, and then it but... stopped, and then it picked back up. But he was in prison for that time. Okay. After the death of Mike Pepitone, Mumphrey left New Orleans, possibly being the reason why the Axeman killings stopped. Right place, right time kind of shit. Oh. Yeah, so he left New Orleans after the last victim. Mrs. Pepitone said that she saw Joseph Mumphrey the night of the attack running from the bedroom. Later, she would say that before her late husband's death, Mike had cut off a deal with a man with many aliases, one being Joseph Mumphrey. Esther believed that Joseph Mumphrey was the killer so strongly that in December of 1920, she sought him out and shot him with a revolver after he threatened to kill her the same way he killed her husband. Thus, the shooting killed him. Yeah. But all the evidence against Mumphrey was circumstantial, and in recent research into that time period, no records were found of a man by the name of Joseph Mumphrey. This could mean that Mumphrey was either an actual alias and not his real name, or that Mumphrey never existed in the first place outside of like an urban legend. Or like something that had been started by Mrs. Pepitone. I I don't know. The fourth theory is copycat killers. Since the MO varied from case to case sometimes, usually focusing on the same victim type, but occasionally straying from it or finding alternate ways into the homes. Some people believe that this wasn't the work of one single man, but one man starting a deeply morbid trend. 
um so maybe like one person did something and like broke in like using the back door thing and left the axe at the scene and used the axe yeah and then one other person was like oh this is a good way to not get the blame pointed at me or like blame it on whoever did the last one or make or confuse the police or whatever and so they would go do the exact same thing to kind of like distract and like get their like either like their 15 minutes of fame or distract and extract yeah and maybe it was like multiple people i don't know that's a theory i think it's actually a pretty good theory also that one and then the joseph mumphrey one are the two that i believe the most and the last one i'm still stuck stuck on the other one though joseph mumphrey yeah that guy yeah, so I, that's why I, I'm, like, it's more him than the other one, but yeah. I do believe that it could be a copycat killer situation. Yeah, I mean, or there's like, a lot of people like that. The last and final theory is super the supernatural. The Axeman's seemingly impossible way of getting into houses led some to believe that the Axeman was, really was a demon from hell. The panels of doors were too small for someone who on multiple occasions were described as heavy set to slip through to enter a house without a supernatural way of shrinking. Some also brought up the fact that he seemed to vanish from the houses, despite many saying they found the victims minutes or even moments after the attack. Yeah, that is true. But at the same time, like it's hard to tell in general. And the last section we we have tonight is a quick three bullet point thing some hauntings oh after the accident uh yes this is way later joseph and Catherine maggio's old house is said to be haunted by the previous tenants some people have reported hearing screams and shrieks in the night mm-hmm. the hospital where joseph romano had his injuries treated is supposedly haunted by his spirit and the haunted hotel of uh I don't know if you pronounce it NOLA or if you just say New Orleans, Mm -hmm. but N-O-L-A, so I'm just going to say NOLA. I don't know. I'm not from New Orleans. Leave me alone. (laughs) The Haunted haunted Hotel of NOLA, the literal name, that's just the name of the hotel. Yeah. It's not like... It doesn't say anything else on it. It's not like, it's not like what people call it. It's, it doesn't have another name. Its name is the Haunted Hotel of NOLA. It probably is NOLA then. Yeah, it's N-O-L-A, so it's gotta just be pronounced NOLA. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Haunted Hotel of NOLA is said to be where the Axeman stayed between his killings and during his sprees. It's said that his spirit haunts the building. I really do believe in ghosts like that, so I can't even really, you know, say anything about it. I do too, because my childhood house is haunted. That, and I also no la llorona and i fucking believe she's real i don't give a fuck what anyone says that was my little story for this evening it's 12 14 a.m it was supposed to be posted 14 minutes ago um so it's gonna go a little bit late and i'm sorry for that it's okay i mean but anyway yes sam did all the work this time very proud of her because i forgot we even had a podcast for me i did all the research today because i have had a very busy weekend um dug deep i'm not even joking i finished the research at 
I want to say eight o'clock. <laughs> and I was at like a family party until six. She's a hustler. We I'm a hustler. hustler. Okay, so we'll see you guys next week. Thank you for listening. Much- Gracias. Grazie, grazie, grazie. That's Italian. Um, hopefully the next week will be a little more stable because we are going to go back to school. No, that's a lie. The it might after. be a little less stable. You guys are going to have to bear with us for the next couple weeks because um, we're heading back to heading back to school. Anyway, you guys know where to find us on our Instagram, the Graveyard Shift At- Pod 13. Yeah, what she said, I never get it right. <laughs> I never once get the podcast handle right. Um, <laughs> so podcast Instagram is going to be in the description of this episode. Our Instagram is going to be in the description of this episode. And we will see you next week with another episode. Jazz it. Jazz. Go ahead and play jazz for us. Please. Thanks. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Thank you.